This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. Hello everyone, it's good to see you here. Great to see you all chatting to each other. Um, my name is Mitch uh, and it's great to, to see you all here. And Let me just add my welcome to Mass this morning. You know, one time I was... Um, I was in a church, and as the, the pastor got up to preach after the time where everyone was chatting to each other, no one was listening to him, and he, um, he just yelled at everyone. He said, listen to the word of God now. Uh, everyone was terrified, and all the new people were terrified. Um, so I don't want to terrify you. I just want to welcome you and make sure that you feel uh, that you are welcome here. Um, my name is Mitch, as I said. I'm from the Summer Hill Gospel Community, um, spread out over there. And I'm also one of the, the interns here at Anchor, and I'm really excited to be able to uh, bring the word to you this morning. Uh, this, this morning we're going to be taking a break from our series in Acts, which we've been in for about eight or nine weeks, and we're going to be starting a new series just for two weeks, which um, James and I, one of the other interns, are going to be able to bring to you. And this series is called Needy and Needed. Uh, and we believe that we're doing, we're doing this series because we believe that God has a plan for His church, and that when we look at, at His church, we believe that we're all needy people and that we're all needed, and we want to live out God's vision uh, for authentic community. And one of the main reasons we want to do this is because we don't want to be living out what our vision for God's community is. We want to live out what His vision for God's community is. So as we look at the Bible, we believe that, there are, um, that we are both needy and needy people. So we're going to jump in in a minute, but I'm just going to pray for us. So please pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege it is uh, to come and meet together and to be a community that meets in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much that you are here present with us this morning, and we ask that you would continue to be present with us by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be preparing our hearts, ready to challenge and change us so we'd be made more into the likeness of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give me the words to speak and help me to forget anything that isn't from you and just to, to preach your word faithfully. Amen. Well, the other day I was um, scrolling through my Facebook feed, and as I was doing that, I saw an article came up, and this article was called... Uh, seven signs that your partner is too needy. Uh, and so I clicked on it, and not because I thought Sarah was particularly needy, uh, but because I was writing a sermon called We Are Needy, and I thought it might be helpful. But as I looked at this article, I saw a bunch of other articles come up at the same time, and they all had similar titles. Some of them were called Five Signs You're Too Needy, Seven Signs Your Partner Is Too Clingy. And this last one was my favorite, which says, Ten, ten Signs That You're Dealing With an Emotionally Needy Narcissist. Um, and as I was scrolling through all of these, all these articles, they all had similar lists of what these characteristics were. They all had things like, your partner never spends time with any of their friends, or your partner's always fishing for compliments and seeking validation. Your partner's always saying things like, you'll never leave me, right? Uh, and one of the, the most common ones was, your partner overanalyzes all your social media activity and dominates your social media. I'm sure some of us can relate to that one. Um, but the one thing that was common through all of these articles was that they all started with a section saying, why nobody likes a needy man, or why nobody likes a needy woman. And after all their lists of undesirable characteristics, at the end they all had a section on how to get rid of your needy partner. And I think, um, I don't know if anyone does take those articles seriously, but I think it's interesting uh, and it highlights something about us and about the culture that we live in, and that is that we don't like neediness. We don't like needy people. We don't like to be viewed as needy. We don't like friendships and people that are needy or in friendships or relationships or whatever, but we don't like being dependent. This year, um, Sarah, my wife and I have both 
um, started studying full-time, and I've been studying full-time for a couple of years, um, and one conversation that I've had over and over again this year is um, people coming up to me and saying, what are you doing? And I say, oh, we're both studying full-time. And they say, well, what are you doing for money? And I say, oh, we're actually on Centrelink at the moment. They say, oh, but you're going to get back to work, right? When is that? That's not going to be forever. When are you going to work? And I think that highlights something about our culture as well. We just don't like being dependent on others for anything. And I believe that that is because our culture teaches us that all of our needs should be met within ourselves. All of our needs should be met within ourselves. And if we try harder and harder and work harder, eventually we'll be able to meet all of our needs and remove our need for anyone else and for anything else. I think it's interesting to see uh, how this has played out in our society. And in the West, we're characterized by the, the individual as opposed to other cultures around the world. And I think it's so interesting to see the trajectory we're moving on. Now, if you are looking for a career at the moment, what's the question you get told to ask? That question is, what can I do that will make me happy? Whereas not that long ago, the question would have been, what can I do to support my family? I think it's really interesting to see the trajectory, and obviously that's not necessarily a bad thing. But it does highlight that we strive for independence. We strive for independence because we find our worth and our identity in what we can achieve. And I think... No matter how independent we come, we become, no matter how much we try, there is always going to be a need that isn't met within ourselves. There's always a deeper need. There's always a desire for fulfillment which we don't have already, a desire for something deeper that can't be met within ourselves, even when we reach our culture's pinnacle of success. There was a study done in uh, 2014 among uh, some of the, the highest level corporate bosses uh, in Sydney, and there was 300 of them interviewed in this survey. And one of the questions they all got asked was, what is the, the biggest problem with your employees at the moment? And it's so interesting, far and above, the most common answer from all of these bosses was that my employees don't ask for help when they need it. They'd all been trained to believe that if they asked for help, then somehow their contribution was less valid and less legitimate if they needed someone else. And all their bosses just wished that they would ask for help because the rates of failure were so much higher. I think this highlights, but no matter how independent I become, there's always another need that I'm facing. There's always another broken relationship. There's always more stress and anxiety and depression. There's always something that I need someone else for, but I'm not willing to ask. But no matter what happens, no matter how hard I try, there's always more need. So when we look at the Bible, we believe that there are, there are two ways in particular, and I think there are two ways in particular that the Bible tells us that we're needy. I think it tells us that we have a deep spiritual need that needs to be met, and we have a relational need as well. So we're going to look at what the Bible has to say. Um, so we're going to jump to Romans 3, and it should be up on the screen behind me as well. Uh, Romans 3, starting at verse 10, and it says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. It's saying we're broken because of sin. It's saying we can't even do good. And I think one of the things that Paul is trying to highlight in Romans is that we were made for a purpose. And that purpose was to seek God and we don't do it. And as a result, he says, we're now worthless. Worthless because we are not fulfilling our purpose to seek God. Ever since sin entered the world, we've had a broken relationship with God. We have a broken relationship with each other, and we have a broken relationship with the world that we live in. 
And I believe that is the need that we feel, the need for fulfillment that we're facing, is because we're not being fulfilled in the way we were designed to be fulfilled with a perfect relationship with God. We need Him. We need Him for sustenance, for life. We need Him for salvation and everyday living. We're needy people. But when our society tells us that our value is found in what we do, and then we try and apply that to our need with God, it doesn't work and we fail and we still feel unfulfilled because there is nothing that we can do to fix that relationship. But that's the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came so we wouldn't have to. Jesus came and he fulfilled that need for us. So we're going to continue in Romans from verses 21 to 24, Romans 3. And it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We've all fallen short of this standard we need to have right relationship with God. But this is the good news. The good news is that Jesus didn't fall short. He didn't fall short of that standard that we needed to meet. And we're justified as a gift by his grace. And the thing about a gift is that there's nothing you can do to contribute when you've been given a gift. You can't contribute when you've been given a gift which means that we don't have to try harder. We don't have to try and hide our brokenness. We don't have to do anything to earn our way to God because Jesus has done that for us. But when we listen to our culture's narrative that our worth is found in our contribution and we try and apply that to this problem, it doesn't work. We're saved by the gospel and we also live by the gospel. We need God, we need Jesus for salvation, yes, but we also need him for living our everyday life. But I know when I reflect on my own life, so often I'm reflecting my culture and not God. So often when I find myself in sin and I realize what I'm doing, my response isn't to turn to God. My response is to try and fix it. I always try and fix my own sin. When I should be turning to God in prayer and in humility, my first response is, what can I do to fix this so I can earn my way to God and then he'll view me better. He'll view me as if I'm doing better than I am. And so I think we all do that to some extent. And I think the question that we need to ask ourselves is, what does it look like to have a gospel-shaped view of our brokenness and need? What does it look like to have a gospel-shaped view of our brokenness and need? And I think the first step to answering that question is having... Uh, is to acknowledge our need and have a disposition of humility. You've got to have a disposition of humility. And we're going to go to one of Jesus' parables where he talks about this. Uh, it's the parable in Luke 18 of the Pharisee and the tax collector as they're praying at the temple. And when it comes to the tax collector, Jesus says this. He says, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And when we look at this picture of the tax collector, it's an amazing picture. You look at him and just the humility and the honesty and the self-awareness that he has as he comes to God. He knows that he's broken. He knows that he can't do anything to earn his way to God. And he just comes to God in humility and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's vulnerable before his God and he admits his brokenness before him. 
excuse me. Um, when I was a, a kid, I, um, I remember one story when I was in early primary school with my dad, and he just bought this mango tree, and he was super excited about gardening, and he was super excited about his mango tree, but when he bought it, it was only about this big, so there were no mangoes on it, and I just remember it took about probably two or three years before there was even any sign of a mango being there, but eventually it, it did, and there was one mango that came through when I was in mid-primary school, and my dad was so excited about this mango that he was telling everyone about it. He was telling everyone at church. He was telling all of his brothers. We were hearing about it every day because he was so excited about this mango. Finally, he was going to be able to eat one that he'd actually grown himself. But then one day, um, I was in the, in the backyard, and I was playing with a cricket bat and a ball, and you can guess what happened. Um, I hit the, hit the ball, hit the, hit the cricket ball, and I went straight for the mango, and it knocked it off the mango tree and fell down to the ground. And I remember um, being probably eight or nine years old, just standing there, still in shock, staring at the mango on the ground. And I think it took about five seconds before I just broke down in tears and started sitting on the ground crying because I knew I was going to be in so much trouble. Um, and then I remember getting up and running over the mango, picking it up, seeing a big tennis ball-shaped hole in it, and then thinking, maybe I can put it back on the tree and trying to twist it back up, but it didn't work, obviously. Uh, and I'm just in tears, crying, crying, and I ran inside, and I remember my mum was inside at the time, and she thought I'd broken my leg or my arm or something because I was crying so much. And she said, what happened, what happened? I said, I knocked the mango off. And of course, she knew about this mango because Dad had been telling her every day. And she said to me, she said, you just need to go and tell your father what happened. And I said, there's no way I'm telling dad what happened after this mango. I'm going to move out. I'm not going to do this. <laughs> um, but eventually she convinced me and I settled down a little bit. So I decided to go and tell my dad what happened to his mango. And I was terrified that he was going to punish me. I was terrified I was going to get yelled at. Uh, he wasn't going to speak to me. But I went up to him and I told him what happened to the mango. And I remember looking at him and he was standing there looking down at me. And then I remember... So clearly, he just bent down and he just gave me a hug and he said, it's all right, mate, I love you. It's just a mango. Don't worry about it. We'll grow another one. And he came down and gave me a hug. And I think the thing is, if I'd known my dad a little bit better at that point, I wouldn't have had to be worried because I knew, I would have known that he'd love me, that I wasn't going to be punished. And what I think this relates to is, is how we respond to God. And I think what we need to understand is that vulnerability is not dangerous when it's with God. Vulnerability is not dangerous when it's with God. But what we hear from our culture is that vulnerability reveals our dependence. And we don't like being dependent, so we're taught not to be vulnerable. But vulnerability is the safest thing we can do with God. And it's because of the gospel, because of Jesus. So when we come to God and admit our sin, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, God bends down and he gives us a hug and he says, I love you. I love you because of what Jesus has done for you. So we can be honest and open and admit our sin and admit our brokenness in humility and honesty, and God loves us. We're deeply loved in the midst of our sin because while we were still sinners, Jesus chose to die for us. There's a quote uh, from a, a Canadian um, psychologist. You don't need to know he's Canadian. Um, but he's a, he's a Christian psychologist named David Benner. Uh, and he says this, it should be on the screen. He says, if God accepts you as a sinner, how can you do less? You can never be other than who you are until you're willing to embrace the reality of who you are. Only then can you become who you are most deeply called to be. And what I think he's trying to say is that the more we're willing to embrace our vulnerability before God, the more we will experience his grace. 
the more we come before him in honesty and humility and confession, the more we'll experience the grace that he's poured out for us through Jesus. Jesus talks about this as well in in Matthew in one of the um, Beatitudes. He says, the humble will inherit the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is that without humility, there's no way to enter the kingdom of God. If we're not humble enough to admit that we need help, if we're not humble enough to admit that Jesus has done everything for us, then we won't enter the kingdom of God. With no humility, there's no understanding of our sin. We need to admit that before God. And I'm sure there are probably people here today who, have, who haven't done that before, who haven't admitted that they need help. And if you're here and you're not sure about God and you're not sure about Christianity, you're not sure what it's all about, but you have felt this need or this desire for something that is beyond what you're experiencing at the moment and you want fulfillment and you want to know what that is, let me tell you that the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus to any need that you're feeling. And the message of the gospel is not that you have to do anything, not that you have to be a good person, not that you have to earn your way to God, that all you need to do is have the humility to admit that you need Jesus and come before him and say, please accept me, Jesus, and he will, because he died for you. If that is you and you haven't thought about that before or you, or you want to explore what that is, later on we're going to have a prayer team and they're going to be on the sides here as we sing later and they're going to be wearing orange lanyards and they would love to pray with you about that. They'd love to talk to you and hear what you have to say and hear your thoughts and questions. They'd love to, love to pray with you. But what we need to, to realize is that vulnerability is not dangerous. We're needy, needy people. We have this deep spiritual need for God, but when we admit our sin, he loves us. Um, so uh, I said there are, there are two main needs that we have. That's the first one, the spiritual need. And the second thing is that we have uh, a deep relational need for one another. Um, in terms of salvation, of course, we're talking, in salvation, the work is complete. Jesus has completed it. But I believe that there are needs we experience in our day-to-day lives, in our, in our everyday life, um, that can't purely be met uh, simply in God. There are needs that go beyond that. So we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about that, and we're going to jump to Genesis uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2. So we're going to be jumping around a little bit in here. Uh, Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping, thre- every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then jumping down to chapter 2, 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So we're here in creation and Adam has just... We're not working? Okay. Okay, we're good. Is this working? Great. Oh, okay. Um, So we're here in creation. What Adam has been created to live in the Garden of Eden... Uh, And the whole time in creation, all of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, everything that's been created has been declared good. So God creates uh, the plants and the animals, declares them them good, creates the light, declares it good, creates uh, the land and the sea and everything, and he declares it good. And then we're here in creation, he creates Adam, the man, and his first time in all of creation, and he says, it is very good. 
It's very good. But then we get a little bit later into chapter 2, and for the very first time in all of creation, we encounter something that is not good. The first thing in creation that is not good, and that is that Adam was alone. It's not good for man to be alone. But why isn't this a, is a, good, isn't this a good thing? I think if we look a little bit earlier in chapter 1, we find the answer, and that's man was made in the image of God. So there's something about being made in God's image that means that it's not good for man to be alone. Uh, when we're talking about the image of God, what we mean by that is uh, we were made to reflect the character of God, made to reflect the characteristics of God. And that's a little bit like when you uh, see a, a father and a son or a mother and a daughter or something, and you look at them and you can tell that they're related just by looking at them because they look the same or maybe from their mannerisms. And um, this happened to me a lot when I was growing up. Me and my sister look uh, a lot alike, and people used to always tell us that we looked similar. And the reason they told us that was because we both looked like our parents, and we reflected their characteristics. We looked like them. We are made in their image to some extent. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about the image of God. We were made to reflect the characteristics of God. And it's it's so amazing to see this. There's nothing else in all of creation that is made to reflect God's image. Not the plants or the animals, not even the angels. Think about that for a second. Not even angels are made to reflect God's image, but we are. That's amazing. I think it is so important to notice the language that God uses here in Genesis. When he's creating man, he says, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. Us and our. And what this tells us is God is in community with himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three present in creation, in the creation of mankind. In Genesis 1-2, we hear that the Spirit was hovering over the waters. And Paul tells us in Colossians that everything was made through Jesus and for Jesus. And we hear God the Father speaking. And so what we see here in creation is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, existing in, in perfect community, are all present in the creation of the world, so that God can say, let us make man in our image. And so when we're made in the image of God, we are made to reflect that community, which is why it's not good for us to be alone. As we read Genesis, uh, the author hasn't forgotten that we believe in one God. The very next verse, 127, he says, God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So Genesis affirms one verse after another that we have a God who was one and a God who was three, and that we are made in his image for community. I think one of the most important things to to know here, which is amazing, is that this is said of Adam when he was in the very presence of God in the Garden of Eden. This was before sin entered the world. Before there was any sin, it was still not good that Adam was alone because he was made to reflect the God who is never alone. So while our our salvation is complete and that need has been met, we still have needs that that need to be met outside of God for relationship. But I want us to really see that as a really good thing, not as a bad thing. We were designed and created in a way so that we would need one another. Um, The other day I was doing a little bit of research and I came across this article um, from 2014 um, from a study that the United Nations did in 2011. And this study was into the, the idea of solitary confinement punishment in prisons. Uh, And that's where, when you've been punished and you get locked into a dark room, usually with no windows and no contact with any other humans for a certain amount of time. And as they did this study, they found out that after 15 days of being alone with no 
personal contact, there was irreversible damage done to the part of the brain that controls stress and anxiety. So if you've been alone for 15 days in 90 to 95% of cases, there was irreversible psychological damage to that person. And then the United Nations decided that it was too cruel to put someone in that punishment, so they called for a worldwide ban on that punishment, which didn't happen. But I think that highlights for us how clear it is that we were made for relationship with other people. Because when we don't have that relationship, it damages us permanently. So that's amazing. Uh, we're created to have this relational need. It's part of our design. But I'm sure that when uh, we examine ourselves, and I know when I examine myself, uh, I can feel that need, and I know I have it. We all crave deep, genuine relationship, don't we? We all crave real friendships and real relationships, which is why it's so painful when they don't work. It's so painful when relationships break down, when we experience social anxiety, when we experience relationships that we can't mend for whatever reason. Even the other day, I was thinking about this, and I was sitting uh, in a cafe, and there was two ladies next to me at the next table, and as I was, um, I was thinking about this, writing this, this sermon, uh, they, one of these ladies was just in tears, crying, and I overheard their conversation, and she was just in tears because one of her friends had betrayed her in some way. But I think that's an experience we all feel because we know we're created for a relationship deep down. And when it doesn't work, it hurts because we know we were designed for it. We know we need relationship. But the good news is that God intended us to be this way. And I think this is one of the most amazing things. The Bible tell us we ha- tells us we have a spiritual need and a relational need. But the amazing thing is, when the spiritual need is met, the relational need is met. Because if you know Jesus, and if you know God, and you've been saved, then you've been saved into the church. When you come to know Jesus, you become part of the church. Which means that there's no place when you hear anyone saying, I love God, I just don't love the church. Because if you love God and you've accepted Jesus, then you are part of the church. The church is the people, not the building. But we don't need to feel that need, uh, have that need that we feel for relationship is a bad thing. We want to view this as a positive thing, as, a, uh, as an expression of the way we were created. But I think, once again, this individualism of the culture that I'm a part of tells me that I, I shouldn't need other people. It tells me that I should be independent on myself because we don't like dependence. I shouldn't have to ask for help. Uh, and if I do ask for help, then I'll do it in some sort of conciliatory way. And if I do ask for help, I'll make sure that I pay you back. And if there's any other way of not asking for help and trying to fix it myself, I'll do that first. That's what I'm taught by my culture. I think this has conditioned me, and I'm sure it's conditioned all of us to some extent. Um, on Tuesday, it was my dad's birthday, and I went to go look for a present for him. And there was a particular book that he was after. So I was in, in Dimmicks in, in Burwood looking for this book. I spent about five or ten minutes looking around, and I couldn't find it. And then... One of the ladies who worked there came up to me and she said, um, do you need any help looking for anything? I just said, no. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I do need help. I, could, I haven't found this for like five or ten minutes. Then I had to do the walk of shame all the way back up to her and say, actually, I do need help. Can you help me find this? And it was right in front of me the whole time. Um, but I feel like this happens so often. Even um, when I'm driving anywhere with Sarah and Sarah will say, do you know where you're going? And I'll say, yeah, I think so. And she's like, should I check it anyway? And I'll say, no, it's okay. I think we'll get there. And then we'll end up there late because we've gone the wrong way. But for some reason, something in me tells me that I shouldn't have to ask for help, and I never ask for help. And if I can avoid doing it in any way, then I will. And I think that's something common to us uh, all at some level. We avoid asking for help because we feel like we should be independent. 
Uh, in the New Testament, one of the most common ways of referring to the church is the body of Christ. That comes up all the time. We're called Christ's body. And the thing about the body is that all the parts are individuals, but they're designed to work together as a whole. And they all need to be reliant on one another so that the parts of the body can't act independently of one another or the body won't work at all. And we're designed in that way for a purpose. And Paul uh, talks about this in Corinthians. Uh, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 25 to 26. And he says, that The purpose of the church is that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The body is designed, and we are designed as a community, that we should suffer and rejoice together. Do we suffer and rejoice together? Do you feel um, that way so much so that when one person in our church is suffering, it should hurt us? And when one person is thriving, then we should all rejoice. I think the implication of that is that we genuinely need each other. Do you ever feel that need? Do you ever feel like you're alone and you have no one to help? Do you ever feel like you don't have genuine relationships? Because you've, have, if you have ever felt that need, then the answer is the church. And of course, we believe that the Holy Spirit is the one who works through us and God mediates His grace to us through the church as well. But I think the natural question we have to ask again is, what does it look like to have a gospel-shaped view of the community that we have? What does it look like to have a gospel-shaped view of this community that we have? I think the answer is the same as before. We need to have the humility to admit our need, but this time we need to have the humility to admit our need to one another, not just to God. And I think if we're, we're anxious about asking for help and we're anxious about going to others, then we're not reflecting who we're supposed to reflect. Because if my goal is independence then I'm not reflecting the God in whose image I'm made. I'm reflecting the culture I'm a part of. My goal is independence. I'm reflecting the culture and not the God in whose image I've been made. When I try and be self-sufficient, it's, it's just a prideful way of saying that I shouldn't need anyone. It's a prideful way of listening to the culture and thinking that I'm better than everyone else, but it's not so. God gave us a community that is designed to help each other. The church was designed to be a place where everyone feels safe, where everyone feels nurtured, where everyone feels cared for, and where everyone is needed. Uh, next week, we're going to be um, hearing from James. And um, James is going to be talking a little bit more about that. He's going to be talking about the fact that we are all needed. Every one of us has a part to play uh, in this community. We're all needy, but we're all needed as well. And this is, um, this is one of the reasons that we have gospel triplets here at Anchor. This is one of the main purposes of gospel triplets. And triplets are designed to be places where you can meet in groups of three or four and be vulnerable with each other and admit your need to one another and have a safe place where you can feel cared for and where you can feel loved, where you can share what you're struggling with in vulnerability and know that you will be cared for and that the gospel will be applied to the situation that you're in. That is why we have triplets here at Anchor. And this is one of the functions of our GCs as well. GCs are there for one of the reasons they're there is so you can go to them and say, I need help. I need money. I need help with my parenting. I need help with anything that comes up. Because those communities are designed to be a reflection of the community that is in God. A community of diversity and unity that expresses the love of God to one another.
And I can say from my own experience that, um, that these work. I'm in a triplet um, with, with Dan and Sam, um, and they're here somewhere. And I can say that in that experience, that I can, I can see this working. I can see the body functioning how it's supposed to function with those two guys. We met even last Wednesday, and we went and watched a soccer game. And as we were watching the soccer game, we were sharing with each other about uh, what we're, what's going on with our lives. We got to share about where we're struggling. We got read a bit of Galatians together, and we got to preach the gospel to each other and hear each other's needs and answer them uh, with Jesus. And that is what the church is designed to do. So if you're not in a triplet, please let me encourage you to, to be in a triplet and to chat to someone about that. There are so many examples um, that we've even heard already. I remember a couple of weeks ago, Matt was sharing with us about examples of us meeting one another's needs in, in so many different ways in this community already. Stories of people having their rent paid for them, stories of having people's insurance paid for them, people getting free cars because they had a need, they had the humility to bring it to the body and the body answered it like it was designed to do. It's such a beautiful picture. So as we, as we do close now, um, we're going to finish up and we're going to reflect on what we talked about and respond uh, in three different ways. So the first way we're going to respond uh, is in prayer. We're going to respond by taking this to God and remember that we have been uh, brought into this community by Jesus. And if you've accepted Jesus, then you've had the humility to say, Lord, I need you and you've done everything for me. So there's nothing I can contribute but that's not just something we do once. That's something that we need to keep on doing. So we're going to respond in prayer. So let me encourage you to please have the humility to come before God and say that you need Him. And if you don't know Jesus, but you feel that need for something more and you feel that need for something beyond what you're experiencing, then please chat to our prayer team. They're going to be on the sides, like I said, orange lanyards. And let me encourage you that it's safe to be vulnerable with them. It's safe to be vulnerable and share your need, and they would love to pray for you. Also, as we, as we uh, close, we're going to respond in worship as the band is going to lead us in song. And we're also going to respond in the Lord's Supper. Uh, the Lord's Supper is going to be at the, the front and the sides. And as, um, as you come and take that, remember that you are confessing your need as you take that. You're remembering that Jesus' body and blood was shed for you so that you didn't have to earn your way to God. And we can do that in honesty and vulnerability as well. Uh, but I'm going to pray for us now, and then we're going to respond in those ways. So please pray with me. Father, we thank you so much that you chose to love us in Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much that you chose, you chose us and you know us. And Lord, we recognize that we have a deep need for you. We have a deep need that can only be met in you and we have needs for one another, Lord, and we ask that you would transform us and change us so that we would recognize those needs. Lord, give us the humility to know uh, that we can talk to you and talk to one another, confess our sin and know that we will be deeply, deeply loved because of what you've done. Father, help us to do that now uh, and help us to focus on that as we respond in worship.